Welcome NFL football fans, it's that time again, time for another edition of NFL Football Talk. I'm your host Charles E. Smith Jr. This is an Inside Sports production and well this is our first show uh, after the fantastic Super Bowl comeback by the New England Patriots, Tom Brady becoming the first quarterback in NFL history to put on five Super Bowl rings. He finally got that one for the thumb. Epic meltdown, of course, by the Atlanta Falcons. But, uh, you know, that's been talked to death. We're going to get into what's happening now, like the uh, Hall of Fame. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, also, non-disclosure of injuries. Uh, any problems there for the Seahawks, yes or no? And before we get into that, though, let me go ahead and introduce my co-host. You know I do not work alone, although I am very choosy about who I will work with. I do work with the very, very best. So here he is. From somewhere in an undisclosed location in beautiful Southern California, a proud graduate of Rutgers University, the man many of you already follow on Twitter at Chris L Sports, and not if not, you should be. Here he is, Chris Lardieri. Chris, what's happening out there, man? Charles, thank you as always. Uh, guess the silver lining from the Super Bowl is that neither of us are Atlanta Falcons fans because that was <laughs> it has to go down as one of the most colossal coach whether it's coach driven or whatever right. choke jobs I've, I've ever seen and I'm, I'm still underestimating on how bad that was just some um, weeks later I'm still shaking my head <laughs> yeah that's true I mean up 28 to 3 with just a few minutes to play in the in the third quarter and then uh, to allow 31 unanswered points to lose that game just uh, there's a, any number of things that have gone that went wrong I'm kind of reminded of right before Super Bowl uh, 48 I believe that was when the in that NFC championship game when the Green Bay Packers somehow lost that game to the Seahawks that's the only thing I compare it to but even that wasn't as bad. Yeah, especially when you figure the Patriots botched an onside kick and the Falcons still couldn't put them away, and and, and um, just yeah, just so many, so many <laughs> things that went wrong. When you have the ball first and ten at the twenty-two after a phenomenal catch by Julio Jones, I mean, literally Matt Ryan could have taken three knees and they would have been set up for a makeable field goal. But uh, yeah, and you you, you know. Um, <laughs> Got to got to give the Patriots credit. Uh, I know a lot of their fans walked out of Super Bowl parties at halftime, but their team did not. Yeah, that's true. And uh, you know, I and over the years you've watched the show, you know that I have really not had a really high opinion of uh, former head coach Marty Schottenheimer and about his conservative offenses. But I would have gone Schottenheimer there. I'm up twenty-eight to three. You know, all I got to do, or not twenty-eight to three. That was later in the game. But you know, what I'm saying here. Uh, all they needed to do was they were up at eight at that point. Just get another score. Put yourself up by two scores with just three minutes to play. And I would have just, at the 22-yard line, run into the line three times, kick that field goal, and then that's it. But also, not only that, if you're going to still pass the ball, why is Ryan snapping the ball with still you know, 12, 13, 14 seconds left on the play clock? What exactly? What was I? It was just puzzling in so many ways. Yeah, and you can blame Ryan all you want, but at the end of the day, uh, the coaches should be telling him to yeah. run the clock down. With technology now, he literally has a voice in his ear telling him what to do. So, yeah, I mean, and, and Kyle Shanahan deserves his share of the blame. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the head coach has to take charge and tell the uh, offensive coordinator we need to call some runs. So, um, yeah, it's uh, really astounding and um, honestly <laughs> – I don't. I really don't know what to say. I mean, I, I had a feeling the Patriots would win, but yeah. by no means when I made my prediction did I think it would end this way. 
and they only led once in the game, and that was when they scored the uh, the game-winning touchdown in overtime. But, you know, you got to feel for Dan Quinn, and this is the second time that he has let an offensive coordinator really uh, cheated him out of a Super Bowl ring because he was the defensive coordinator for Seattle when they lost Super Bowl forty-eight on that unconscionably stupid play call by Daryl Bevel when they should have given Marshawn Lynch the ball. And then this time, uh, Kyle Shanahan lets him down. So I have a feeling that if he gets in this position again and an offensive coordinator starts making questionable calls, I think Dan Quinn might just beat him down on the sideline. be the first time we've ever seen that. But, you know, that might happen. Yeah, and that might actually increase NFL ratings next year if that happens. <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and move on. Uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2017. One guy I'm really glad to see get in was Kenny Easley, who was a great safety for the Seahawks back in the in the 80s. Uh, not many people know what ended his career, but what ended his career was uh, taking basically over-the-counter painkillers. They didn't know of the dangers of it, so he was taking, eating uh, things like Tylenol, basically eating them like sweet tarts, and he wound up with kidney failures. What happened to Kenny Easley, even though it was really under the radar? Uh, not sure if it was uh, ibuprofen or acetaminophen, but it was one of those two, and that's what really uh, did in his career because he was he was a great safety. But getting to uh, more current players, Kurt Warner, quarterback the Rams to their only Super Bowl victory in uh, in franchise history. Jason Taylor, great defensive end for my Miami Dolphins for many years. And then Terrell Davis finally gets in, uh, running back with a short career, but a great career there in Denver. And got Elway those two Super Bowl rings. We know about LaDainian Tomlinson, a great career in San Diego before, uh, you know, uh, going to the Jets and things like that. But he was very good. Morton Anderson, place kicker, joins Jan Stenerud as the only two place kickers in the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Noticeably absent, his second year of eligibility, Terrell Owens, not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Mr. Lardieri, is this a problem for you? Look, I don't like T.O. I never liked him. I always thought he was a me-first player, a guy who threw his quarterbacks under the proverbial bus. That said, with the way some of the wide receivers have been getting in the Hall of Fame, if you're going to look at his statistics, they match up, if not exceed. So by the numbers, he's a Hall of Fame player. What irks me, because back in the day, guys like Lawrence Taylor, who I absolutely adored as a kid, this guy's a yeah. dirtbag in real life, got mm -hmm. into the Hall of Fame. And now you're suddenly going to regulate how guys were to the media, their teammates, etc., uh, whether they get the merits of being in the Hall of Fame. And I don't quite get that. And, and frankly, this year's class, I, I know there were some guys borderline deserving to get in, but I don't feel it's, you look at this class as a whole, I don't feel it's as strong. So to leave T.O. out, too, also makes me a head scratcher, scratch my head. As far as I'm concerned, Tomlinson was a complete no-brainer. You look at some of these other guys, mm -hmm. Terrell Davis, yeah, short career. Well, by his logic, someday Eli Manning should get into the Hall of Fame because he won two Super Bowls and put up good numbers over a long period of time, <laughs> even though, like, personally, even as a Giants fan, don't know if he deserves it. So yeah, He was man of the um, year this year, though. Yeah, that, you so, know, he, he and Larry Fitzgerald will, right. will deserve because they, they've both been doing a lot of work in the community under the radar for years. So, mm -hmm. yeah, back to T.O., I don't know. It makes her good fodder. The I, I still can't figure out how the NFL Hall of Fame process works. <laughs> I do know it takes a little bit longer than it does the time to elect the new pope, but there's no white smoke involved. So right. um, 
not not sure what's going to happen. But I, I do have to echo your sentiments. I'm really happy for Kenny Easley. Those of us who grew up watching football in the mm-hmm. '80s and it was hard nose and Smash Mouth. Remember him when the Seahawks played in a dome and were in the AFC. And yep. uh, you know if he had if he had played in a bigger market or not so far away from the media centers of this country, you know he'd he'd probably <laughs> be up there with the uh, the Ronnie Lots of the world when you look at his career. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, everyone at UCLA is happy as well because, uh, you know, that's where he played his college ball, if my memory serves. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, let's go ahead and get into a couple other things here. Now, we've talked about, and, you know, we, we like Al Michaels for making his casual references to gambling and the NFL and the connections there. Now, it, was, it came to light a couple of weeks ago that uh, Richard Sherman, and I got to give uh, Mr. Lardieri some props here because on the last show we did before the Super Bowl, uh, Chris, you had talked about you seeing Richard Sherman possibly tailing off and maybe his career, you know, was going the wrong way. And it turns out that for the second half of the season, he was actually actually uh, nursing a lower body injury, which uh, had not been ever put on the injury report. There were reports that maybe the NFL would uh, find the Seahawks or maybe take a draft pick or something like this. But this brings to light this whole thing of the NFL and gambling. Now, we got you got a player injured. They're the only league that requires an injury report, a re- report that is mandatory. The other teams, they'll give it to you maybe, maybe not. The NFL requires this. So you basically have to give your opponent a competitive advantage just so the NFL can protect the integrity of point spreads. That's what it comes down to. Am I missing anything here, Chris? Yes, you're missing one small thing. Fantasy football players care about it too, but that's not gambling either. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Even though you, let's see, you put money in, it could, could possibly win money, but that's not <laughs> gambling somehow. Yes. It's hypocrisy. It's ridiculous. We've been banging this drum for years. <laughs> then they change the injury report to make it so there's no more probable, which confuses things even more. Well, I guess maybe Richard Sherman would have only been probable under the old standard, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, and i got to talk about something that's not actually football, but just sports-related. And it just reflects all the, you know, I'm wearing my USA hat here, as I do, because, you know, I'm a proud American. But this whole uh, political correct thing has just gone nuts here. Because in the Australian Open, what you had was uh, Doug Adler, who was doing commentary for ESPN. He actually got fired, fired, for a comment he made when Serena Williams was uh, playing. And what happened was he's talking about the tactics that she's using, which are kind of outside the box. He's saying that she was using guerrilla tactics. G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A. Guerrilla tactics. Someone else said it was a slight upon African Americans because he likened her to a gorilla. G-O-R-I-L-L-A. Now, that's like a Saturday Night Live skit, isn't it? Could you just see that written up? Seriously, Chris, look at that. Yeah, yeah, you know, sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. But, you know, you got to love ESPN because when Stephen A. Smith, during the whole Ray Rice fiasco, alluded to how, well, you know, certain people use that as a means to uh, keep their women in line, per se. I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, He got a slap (laughs) on the wrist. So I guess because of that, now you say anything, you're going to get fired. I mean, you could take this to the media. I read there was a New York Post reporter who was home on his personal phone, not on work time, not on a work phone, uh, made a a controversial tweet, uh, tweet about Trump and got fired. So, I mean, it's just completely out of control. It's right. to the point now where 
I try not to tweet anything remotely controversial. Uh, don't put it on Facebook. Don't mm-hmm. put it anywhere in writing. You know, maybe you and I wisecrack about it. I hope the cameras aren't rolling. Right. We do make jokes, none of which are inappropriate or offensive, by the way. They're usually just cheap shots at people like T.O. <laughs> but anyway, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, you really got to watch what you say in the 21st century and uh, magnified yet again in the sporting world. Yeah, that's true. And if you look at, and honestly, you know, not to, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, but even if you look at the workplaces nowadays, people are walking on eggshells. They're like scared rabbits because someone overhears something in the break room, you know, and goes back, it goes to HR, and before you know it, you know, you're cleaning out your desk. So people just need to chill. Just chill. Just calm down and just knock off all the foolishness. Yeah, the problem is everyone thinks that the internet is a dry erase board, and it's not. It never goes away. So, um, and until then, you know, I look. Uh, look, I I got two kids. I don't have them on social media right now. When people ask me why, I say, "Well, look at all the adults we know our age. They can't even handle it." So, yeah. enough said. Exactly. So, you know, let's get back to uh, the NFL here. So, you know, your Giants there making some cuts. Uh, Rashad Jennings, running back, he's been cut, and Victor Cruz. You know, salsa dancing won the won the uh, Super Bowl with the with the uh, with the Giants, but he's done in New York. And then we gotta wait for wait and see what happens with a few quarterbacks out here, uh, namely Brock Osweiler, uh, Tony Romo. What's gonna happen with him and Jay Cutler? Where does Jay Cutler wind up? So the Super Bowl is over, but now that offseason intrigue is about to begin. Absolutely, and with Cruz, I don't know if you know. I've, I've seen it mentioned in some circles, Denver. but. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, maybe if he wants if he wants to stay in the area, he could go play with the Jets. Never get the ball thrown to him because they don't have a quarterback. But um, <laughs> anyway, I, I you know people say, well, he was kind of the scapegoat for the infamous Miami boat trip, and that may very well have been the final nail in his coffin. But really, the production wasn't there this year. I just. Uh, great story that he came back but um mm-hmm. i just don't think I, it's not the victor cruz we all know and love from 2011 2012 that era um jay cutler uh i, I don't know who would want him um you know then again maybe would he be an upgrade in in houston if they get rid of osweiler it's a, there's some fodder for debate <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i don't know what they're going to do there but uh, I, w- I think romo's a good fit in houston and that way, when you look at it, he would be going, wouldn't be playing in the conference, would be staying in the same, the same state playing football. But I think Romo's a good fit in Houston. They've got everything else in place. All they need is a quarterback to, you know, who's efficient with the football. And I think Romo's got, figuring he took the last year off, so I think he's got two good seasons left in him. So as long as they can protect him, I think they can make, a, they can make some noise next year. Yeah, absolutely. The problem is how you're going to get out from under that right. cover contract. I don't know the cap uh, space they'd have there. You know, everyone everyone talks about Denver too. I think another dark horse you to keep an eye out on is Kansas City, hmm. the Chiefs. You don't I, believe you know, in Alex Smith? Is that what you're telling I, me? You know what? I've been very patient, much like you with Matt Ryan. But no, I've never believed in Alex. He's an he's an Urban Meyer creation. And honestly, you want to talk about a team if they had a quarterback? Uh, that's a team that could have won the Super Bowl this year against Atlanta. So uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. Andy Reid hasn't had a quality quarterback in a while. I, I think he'd like to, to to have him calling plays in KC. Okay. All right. So 
You know, before we get on out, we got to mention a couple of things. I guess the Patriots really in the spotlight here because the company uh, Narrative Capital, they've picked up the rights to uh, Malcolm Butler's story. You know, Malcolm Butler, he was a fry cook at uh, Popeye's Chicken before becoming a Super Bowl hero in Super Bowl 48 with that uh, interception on the goal line. But then also they're supposed to be making a movie about uh, Tom Brady and the great comeback in this past Super Bowl 51. So uh, just kind of a good time to be a Patriot, I suppose. Yeah, I got to uh, got to strike while the iron's hot. And you know that that Brady story, I hadn't heard of it before a few weeks ago. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to the movie, kind of like the uh what was that Invincible, the Papali story, the uh, walk-on <laughs> guy with the Eagles, kind of similar story, don't you think? Yeah, and I, uh, does does Mark Wahlberg make a good Tom Brady? We'll, we'll just have to see. Yeah, maybe he could uh, grow that that mullet that Giselle liked so much at one point in his career. (laughs) Giselle was lit up during that Super Bowl, by the way. But anyways, uh, remember, follow me on Twitter at The Inside Sports. Follow Mr. Lardieri on Twitter at Chris L Sports. But before we go, uh, Chris, you got some nuggets of wisdom for the football-loving public out there? I sure do. The games are over. Everyone's speculating who's going to go where in free agency. And it also marks one of the least favorite times of my Football observing off season, <laughs> the mock drafts. You know, you get the alerts. Mm-hmm. Mel Kiper, Todd McShay, um, uh, Mike Mayock. You name them. There are plenty of them. People don't look at the mock drafts. Okay, <laughs> I've been I've been observing these for years. No one in their right mind thought the Rams were going to trade up to take Jared Goff. Everyone thought Wentz would be number one. Mm-hmm. Don't bother. Look. Uh, Will uh, Will Watson from Clemson be a top pick? Will the 49ers try and grab him? Will the Browns finally give in and take another quarterback? Who knows? But you know what? No one seems to know, and I'm not going to sit there and watch a scouting combine to see guys run the 50-yard dash and leap over whatever and do 100 bench presses. So um, sit back, enjoy, wait for the actual draft itself, which you and I have said multiple times is probably the best and truest form of reality television we know. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. So, you know, before we get on out of here, got to thank our new uh, partners. We're kind of building some synergy here. My boys at Humanica Media, uh, namely Josh Peterson out there and Gerald Glassford. Uh, thanks for your support. So remember, uh, it won't be every week, but every now and then go ahead and check in. We'll give you updates when something happens uh, during the off season here. Anything interesting, we'll go ahead and put a show out there. Remember, it's NFL Football Talk. So for Chris Lardieri, I'm Charles E. Smith, Jr. Enjoy the offseason, and hey, the drama's just beginning. Thanks for watching. Okay. Okay, just a second. Let me turn the camera off. Oh. That uh, to us people that can feel things, it it uh, it hurts.